Alright, what is up guys, and welcome back to Post Game Plethora. Now, I have not made a podcast in over a, a month. I've just been really busy. Gonna try to get more consistent with that come summertime, about like a month away. So we're gonna try to get a schedule out and tell you guys when and where you can listen to the podcast. Obviously, you can listen to it here or wherever you're listening to it now. So let's go ahead and start, get into it. It's gonna be a fairly long podcast, not too long, around 30, 40 minutes max. Uh, so we begin with, if the Lakers lose the play in the game... Who is the contender in the West? Now, the Lakers, I believe, take on the Warriors in the playing game. I believe it's already set. If I'm correct, uh, 7 plays 8 and 9 plays 10. So, we're going to talk through the playing games right now. I believe everything's set. Yeah, there's no chance that anybody else gets in. 7-8 are still interchangeable right now. I mean, the Hornets and Pacers are battling for the 8. doesn't really change too much, though. For now, we're going to go with the format of Celtics will play Hornets in the play-in. And I'm just going to take the Celtics. I think the Celtics, even without Jalen Brown, are still going to get the win over the Hornets in that play-in, first play-in game. So the Celtics will be the seventh seed. And the Pacers-Wizards game, the Wizards have been really hot lately. I think it's going to be the Wizards with the win. Russ will lead them or carry them to that win. And then it'll be Wizards-Hornets, let's be honest. As far as I know, I think it's Wizards-Hornets. The loser with 7-8 plays the winner of the 9-10. I think it has to be the Wizards. I mean, that's a team led by Russ who's going crazy. Beal's a great scorer no matter what, whenever you need him, he's going to score. Last 10 games, they're 6-4, and four, and they're coming off a win. They started the season bad, but since then they've really heated up. I think they'll come out, they'll beat the Pacers, then they'll come out and beat the Hornets, and the Wizards and Celtics will be your 7-8, and eight. Celtics at the 7, Wizards at the 8. Uh, while we're here, we might as well just go ahead and talk through the playoffs as well. We have the 1-seed Sixers, will take on the 8-seed Wizards. I think I'm going to take the Sixers in that series pretty simply um yes the Wizards are going to battle hard to get to the playoffs but I don't think they can snag a win over they may snag a couple wins in the series but they're not going to snag the series in general over Philly who is the obvious number one in the east right now and number two we have the Nets playing the Celtics bad blood between the two teams but I don't think it's really that big of a deal the Nets will come out and win that series Bucks Knicks difficult Series for the Bucks, actually. I think it's a decent matchup, but I, I don't think the Knicks are at the point where they can get off the first round yet. I'm very impressed with what the Knicks have done this year, though. But I'm not going to take them over the Bucks. Give me the Bucks winning that series. Sorry to the Knicks fans out there. I, I, I'm cheering for you. Hawks Heat is the other one, the last one in the East, first round. I'm going to take the Heat. Same situation as last year against the Pacers. I took the Pacers last year. I'm not betting against the Heat again. Give me the Heat winning that series against the Hawks. Heading on into the second round, we're going to see the one-seed Sixers taking on the five-seed Heat. And I'm going to take the Heat in that series, too. I think the Heat back in the conference finals, they're heating up at the right time. They're 8-2 and two in the last 10 games, and they're on a four-game win streak. They're going to look good heading into the playoffs. They're going to beat down the Hawks, and they're going to go in and beat the Sixers in a close, contested series, similar to what they did against the Bucks last year. After that, we're going to have the two-seeded Nets coming into that game. And they're going to they're gonna have to take on the three-seeded Bucks. I mean, are they going to beat the Bucks or not? It's tough. It's a tough call. Just kidding. It's a big three Nets team. They're not going to lose that game. Come on, Harden, Katie, and Kyrie. I don't care if there's only one ball. They're going to get the job done against a Bucks team that consistently underperforms. The Bucks need to get rid of Budenholzer in the offseason. Budenholzer is still a good coach. If I was the Kings or a team like that, it was a consistent bottom feeder, the Timberwolves. I'm a Cavs fan. I would love Budenholzer for the Cavs. I mean, he always transforms teams into winners. 
but not playoff winners. I mean, he can take any team, I think, and make them into a 40-plus win team in the regular season. But I don't think he can really do it in the playoffs. He's not going to get it done in the playoffs, and it's a Bucks team. They already had their culture reset. They have Giannis. He's just getting older from here. I mean, he still has a long time left. But he's only going to get older from here. you got to start winning in the playoffs. Budenholzer's not going to get them those wins. They need to get rid of him. So the Nets box, I'm going to go ahead and give that to the Nets. And then in the conference finals, I have the Nets taking on the Heat. Not even close. Give me the Nets in the finals on the eastern side. They will win. In the west, it might be a close series, but I, I just don't see any way the Heat take down the Nets. In the west, we're going to see the 7-8 play-in being the Lakers and the Warriors. I'm going to take the Lakers winning that game and coming in as a 7 seed. Yes, they've been struggling lately, and the Warriors have been more hot in the last couple games. Uh, I believe the Warriors are 7-3 in the last 10. The Lakers are 5-5, five and five, but I think LeBron and AD can turn it on. They're on a three-game win streak, and the Warriors are on a five-game win streak. But I think LeBron and AD can turn it on if they're both playing, and if Schroeder comes back at the right time, that'll look really good for the Lakers, and they'll get that win over the Warriors in the 7-8 game. And then 9-10, we have the Grizzlies-Spurs. I think the Grizzlies will get it done. Spurs are 2-8 in their last 10. Grizzlies are 7-3 and three in the last 10. It'll be a close game, though, but I am going to give it to the Grizzlies. So Grizzlies-Warriors. I think it's going to be the Warriors. Curry's still been hot. Even if he loses to the Lakers, he's going to come and win that game. So 7 will be the Lakers, 8 will be the Warriors, meaning the Jazz will take on the Warriors in the first round. People are saying, oh, it might be an upset. No, Curry doesn't have enough to get it done. The Jazz will come out and win, but it might be a very close series. 2, we have the Suns taking on the Lakers. I feel bad for Suns fans because I thought you guys could have made a run this year. But I don't think you can anymore. I mean, this is still LeBron and AD we're talking about. Yes, they've struggled this year because they've been injured, not because they were not good. AD hasn't been great when he was playing, but, I mean, he's not terrible. He's going to get back to full form, especially with LeBron back on the floor. I'm sorry, Suns fans, but I'm taking the Lakers in an upset. Six, we have the Trailblazers taking on the Nuggets. I could see the Trailblazers maybe stealing it, but the Trailblazers are not the best. I'm actually going to take the Nuggets. I'm not in love with the Trailblazers. I mean, I think, yeah, Dame's great. CJ's great. I mean, Nurkic is great if playing. But the problem is they just don't play at a high rate game in, game out. They're very inconsistent, and that's my main problem with them. I don't see them having enough to even get it done against Jokic because I don't see anybody able to stop Jokic. 4-5 matchup. We have the Clippers taking on the Mavericks. Simple game, simple series. Give me the Clippers. It's a rematch, but give me the Clippers. After that, we move on to the second round, where we will see the Jazz taking on the Clippers. The Jazz are going to make it. Uh, simple. Clippers are not going to end the curse this year. It just isn't their year. Yes, the media has laid off them a lot more than they were previously, but I just don't see it from the Clippers getting in there this year. Give me the Jazz in the conference finals, and then, of course, we have the Lakers taking on the Nuggets, and give me the Lakers in the conference finals as well. We'll see the seven-seeded Lakers and the one-seeded Jazz. Give me the seven-seeded Lakers making the finals. Getting the finals, we all want to see the Nets and the Lakers. Just kidding. I don't really want to see it. I'd rather see two upsettable teams. I'd rather see the Jazz and Sixers than the Lakers and Nets, but, I mean, it'll be interesting to see who wins. But I'm going to take the Nets in the finals if it's a match between the Lakers and Nets. Lakers chemistry is enough to get them past that West. Not enough to get them past the Nets. I mean, it's just not enough. I'm personally just going to take the Nets in that series, and I think James Harden will be the finals MVP. So, right now, if the Lakers lose the play-in game, yes, I just went full in-depth with the whole playoffs and play-in game. 
What if the Lakers lose the playing game? What if they lose to the, to the Warriors? And then what if they go on after losing to the Warriors and they lose to the next team, which would be, I think, the Grizzlies? Imagine they lose both those games. They're out the playoffs. Nothing to talk about. Then who is the contender? Is it the Jazz? Is it the Suns, Clippers, Nuggets, Mavericks, Trailblazers? I'm going to say it's the Suns. Sounds crazy, I know. But you got to hear me out here. It would be the Suns taking on the Warriors. I think they can get the job done. Second round would probably be the Suns going up against the Nuggets, maybe the Blazers. I think they can get the job done against the Nuggets. Then conference finals, maybe the Jazz, the Clippers. I think they can get the job done there. If they get the job done against those teams, they're in the finals. So I think if the the team who benefits the most from the Lakers maybe losing that playing game is the Suns, and they have the chance to make the finals if the Lakers do not win that playing game. Let's move on to the next topic. The next topic we have is where does Russ rank among all-time point guards? I think he ranks third. I think it's Magic, Curry, and then Russ. Magic and Curry are somewhat interchangeable. Right now, I'm going to take Magic number one, but Curry is definitely heading in a good category to number one. Not quite there yet, though. Going to be Magic one, Curry two, Westbrook three. I mean, yes, Isaiah Thomas was great. Yes, Oscar was great. But I think Russ is doing what they were doing, if not better. The only problem is he doesn't have that ring on his finger. He's not going to get it in Washington. He's got to either go ring chase and get that ring, or he's just got to say, look, you look at the numbers. I'm the bad, I'm the better player than these two dudes. Right now, he's not going to go over Curry or Magic ever. Uh, he's just not ever going to have that argument over either one, maybe. No, he'll just never have that argument over either one. But I think he's third all time. I mean, this is a dude who, and I'm going to go from 2017 to 2021. 2017 is the year after, you know, KD left. He went for 31, 10, and 10 on around one and a half steals and 0.5 blocks. That was a really good year. And he was very efficient that year. He made the playoffs with the, I wouldn't say bum squad. He did have Oladipo and he had Steven Adams in his canter. Todd Gibson, I mean, those, those were his impact players. You could say DeMontis Sabonis, but he didn't really have a huge impact on that team. Cameron Payne was a key role player before the trade for Todd Gibson. I mean, it was a bad team. I don't want to call them a bunch of bums because they're NBA players. Right? I'm not going to call any NBA player a bum. All of them can play at some level. They just weren't contending competition. Probably shouldn't even make the playoffs with that team. He did, though. He did what Curry's doing now with a worse squad. I'll make that argument any day of the week. I'd rather have Russ's MVP season over what Curry's doing right now. I don't know why that's even a question. Uh, the following season he went for, this was with PG and Carmelo, he went for around 25, 10, and 10, 1.8 steals and around 0.2 blocks. So a pretty good year again. Once again, averaging a triple-double. Once again, people are calling it insane, but then he goes in the next year. He looked like he was chasing it a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest about that. He goes for 22, 11, and 10 on around 1.9 and 0.5. He's... Improved as a defender pretty much every year. And then last year in Houston, he dropped the triple-double stats, but he went back to being a top-tier scorer around 27, 7-7 seven and seven with around 1.6 and 0.4. The problem in Houston with not getting the triple-doubles because Harden does a similar play style where he also gets the triple-doubles. So that's why he didn't have the triple-double last year, but then he's here again doing similar to what he was doing back in OKC in 2019. He goes for around 22, 11-11, 1.3 and 0.4. He's improved as a defender these last couple of years. Um, but I still think he's third all-time as a point guard. You see these stretches of seasons from 2017 to 2021 where he was a top-tier player, averaging triple-double pretty much year after year aside from 2020, which was last year. It was a weirder year, though. It wasn't a full season. 
So it was it was just a difficult difficult thing to grasp last year. Difficult way to you know see how that season matches up with all the others. But I mean, from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one, which was around what one, two, three, four, five seasons, um, through five seasons, he had four of them where he was having a triple double. There's three games left on the year, I believe. So he grabbed the triple double this year, clinched the play in. He's gonna probably win the play in and head to the eight seed. I think he's going to lose in the first round, but I think he deserves a lot of credit if this Wizards team makes the playoffs. I mean, it's pretty much just Beal and Westbrook. Roy Hachimura has his times. Davis Bertans has his times. Gafford has his times. But none of them are really going to be consistent there. They need to get that third player. Honestly, I'd love to see DeMar DeRozan with Westbrook and Beal. It'd be amazing to see. But I think Westbrook does rank third all-time. And then next, another NBA topic, we have the NBA award picks. These are my picks. Nobody else's. I don't care what any of you guys say. In MVP, fifth place, I have Stephen Curry. He's not winning enough to be even considered for the award. At max, he'll be a seven seed. I don't think he even deserves you know, credibility to be top three in the award. Yes, he deserves to be top five. He deserves credit for the numbers he put up, but he's not even top two in the playoffs. Fourth, I have Chris Paul. He's led that Suns team to his second seed. I think they have a good shot to win the title. If they don't have to play the Lakers, but if they play the Lakers, I don't think they win that title at all. don't even think they maybe get past the first round if they have to play the Lakers. Round one. And then third, we have Dwell Embiid. Uh, he was my front runner for a long time, but he hasn't played enough to really be considered number one. Two, the man who's considered Minnie's front runner, give me Nikola Djokic. Yes, he's amazing. Yes, he's playing great. But the man who's number one is playing better. Give me Giannis. The only reason Giannis isn't a front runner for the award is because he won it two years in a row. He's still playing like the best, the MVP. He's still playing like that. I believe he's third. He's edging second, though. I think right now he's my MVP pick. It's either him or Jokic, but right now I'm going to stick with Giannis as my pick. For the Rookie of the Year race, five, I have Sadiq Bey. Four, I have Jay Sean Tate. Three, I have Tyrese Hilburton, who I was very high on before the draft. I'm still high on him now. I think he could still end up being around second best player in this class, maybe third no matter what. Uh, second, I have LaMelo Ball. Only reason he's not one is because he had that time where he was out. And one, I have Anthony Edwards. He's been fairly consistent the whole season. Uh, and he's now taken a rise to pretty much a star level as a scorer individually. I like to see that from him. And if he can continue that, then he'll look great in this class specifically. But right now, I still think LaMelo is the best player from this class right now. But Edwards, I think, is the rookie of the year because he played pretty much the whole season. Sixth man of the year race, we have Shake Milton coming in at fifth. Jalen Brunson at fourth, D. Rose at third, Ingles at second, and Clarkson at first. Similar to what happened last year with the Clippers, Montrez, and uh, Lou Will, we now see Ingles and Clarkson. In the defensive player of the year race, we have Ben Simmons in fifth. I know he's a front runner. Fourth, I have Rudy Gobert. Third, I have Nerlens Noel. Yes, I know, Nerlens Noel over Rudy and Ben. Oh, you're crazy. Just because the name is known doesn't mean they are top tier in the award. Nerlens Noel has done insane things statistically. Second, I have Miles Turner. He tweeted the other day. He feels he's disrespected in the award race. I completely agree. He should definitely be top three. I have him too. One, very surprising, but Jimmy Butler. Averaging two steals per game this year, leading the league in steals. He's been a great defender for years now. He's very underrated as a defender. I have Jimmy Butler as my defensive player of the year. And then coach of the year race, the last one we have to talk about. Five, I have Nate McMillan. Only reason he's not number three or two or one or four is because he... Came in halfway, and he didn't play or didn't coach a full season. That's why he's not number any higher than five. Four, I have Doc Rivers. He took that Sixers team and brought them back to top-tier relevant contenders. 
Three, we have Monty Williams. I mean, he changed that Suns team, even dating back to the bubble. Two, we have Quinn Snyder. I mean, the Jazz were not expected to be number one. I didn't have him as number one. I had a team who was barely making the playoffs. But they really clicked this year, and that's why, they're number, that's why he's number two in the Coach of the Year race. And then number one, I have Tom Thibodeau. He changed the Knicks completely, and I don't know why it's not undebated. Um, undebatably, he is the Coach of the Year. There's nobody who should even be on his level of Coach of the Year. The Knicks have not made the playoffs for years. Even when they had Carmelo, they weren't really relevant, relevant as a team. And Tom Thibodeau comes in and takes Julius Randle, turns him into an all-star. And he deserves Coach of the Year for leading the Knicks to a playoff team, which they are a playoff team. Next we have, was Mitch the problem or was it the Bears? Interesting topic to talk about. The main reason this is arising as a topic is mainly because I feel like Mitch was screwed, first of all, by being put in Chicago. But maybe Justin will be screwed too. Was it the Bears that was the problem? In 2017, Mitch's rookie season, he went for around 2,000 yards, 2,193 yards to be exact, seven touchdowns, and seven picks, and he was very inefficient as a player, 59%. But the next season, 2018, was an amazing year for Chicago. He went for 32, 23 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 12 picks on 66%, and he was a pro bowler, and he looked really good. And then 2019, he goes from... He goes to around 31, 38 yards, 17 touchdowns, and 10 picks on 63%. And then 2020, the previous season, he just came off of where they benched him for Nick Foles. Was arguably his best year since that 2018 year. He went for 20, 55, 16, and 8 on 67%. I think it was the Bears that was a problem. Half. I think Mitch was the problem. Half as well. If Mitch was a later pick than where he was, then he would be a solid quarterback. And he still is a solid quarterback. I think he deserves a shot to start in a place like Washington. A team who doesn't have like a solid starter, he deserves that shot. But he doesn't deserve to start for a team who has their starter. He does deserve another shot, though. I think the Bears were part of the problem. We got to see what he does in a different offensive scheme before we can say it was the Bears or before we can fully blame him. We got to see it. Also, if Justin Fields gets ruined in Chicago, it'll either be people saying Ohio State's the problem or Chicago's the problem. Which one? Or both. Um... I really want to see what happens with the Justin Fields situation, though. I'm rooting for him. But I think it it does affect a lot based off what Fields does, based off what Trubisky does in a different system. Obviously, he's not going to play this year because Josh Allen is his starter. So he's not going to play this year unless he gets to play maybe week 17, but that's about it. Next, we have Will Herbert be affected by the sophomore slump. Not something I really want to entertain too much, but I think he will. So the main example I want to talk about is Baker Mayfield, another former O'Roy. In 2018, Baker Mayfield, this is his rookie year, he went for 37, 25, 27, and 14 on 63%. And in 2019, the year following that, he went for 38, 27, 22, and 21 on 59%. He had a different coach, so does Herbert. He didn't have a, he had a different wide receiver one. Herbert's not. Herbert still has their, his dudes down there. But Herbert has a different tight end. Uh, he has different alignment. He has different. I mean, he still has the same running core, the same wideout one. But he has a different coach. A lot of new things are going to happen for him. I think he won't deprove as much as Baker did, but he has the chance to deprove. In 2020, of course, Herbert went for 43, 36, 31, and 10 on 66%. If he was to take the same development as Baker, which I don't think he will at all, he would be at around 26, 17, and 62%, which would still be better than what Baker did. So I think Herbert's rookie season was much better than Baker's, and I think he's a better player than Baker. 
I don't think he'll be affected as much by the sophomore slump, but I do think he'll go down a little bit in touchdowns and up a little bit in picks, down a little bit in completion. And I don't think the Chargers will be a great team this year like many expect. Next, we have do the Broncos need to make a move for Aaron? And then who should they start? Week one, Drew Locker, Teddy B, who should be the long-term starter for this year. I think they should make a move for Aaron as much as possible. I mean, giving up to Drew Locke, maybe Drew Locke uh, two first. I'd be willing to do that two first, maybe two seconds. I don't I don't know what the deal would necessarily be. I'm not good with the whole trade situations coming up with them. But I would definitely make a move for Aaron. But if they decline, it's not a huge deal. I think you can survive with Locke and Teddy for the year, make a big move for someone else in the offseason, maybe still look for Deshaun when his value just keeps going downward, make a smaller move for Deshaun. I don't know what they exactly need to do right now, but who should they start, Teddy B or Drew Locke? In 2019, Drew Locke went for around 1,020 yards, 7 tutties, 3 picks, and 64%. In 2020, he went for 1930, uh, sorry, not 19, 29, 33 yards, 16 touchdowns, 15 picks, 57%, meaning he did the proof, but he also played a lot more. Teddy, going from 2014, he went for around 29, 19, 14, and 12, 64%. The next year, he improved. This is in Minnesota, 32, 31, 14, 9, and 65%. Then the next time he would really clock enough snaps to be counted for, 2019 on the Saints as a backup quarterback, 13-84, 9 touchdowns and 2 picks on 67%. And then this previous season, 37-33 yards, 15 touchdowns, 11 picks on 69%. He was never great, and he doesn't really have great arm strength, but he is a good game manager, and that's exactly what the Broncos need right now. If I'm talking week one starter, I'm going with Teddy Bridgewater. And honestly, I'd go with Teddy for almost this whole year. I like Drew Locke more, but as a system fit, you just need someone who's going to go in, slow the game down, hand the ball off when it's needed, make short passes when it's needed, and just make the correct reads. I don't think you get that from Drew Locke. You get a lot of raw talent from Drew Locke, but that's not what you need in Denver right now. You need a quarterback who can hold the game down. That's Teddy Bridgewater. I would start Teddy Bridgewater week one. Does Minshew deserve a shot elsewhere is our next question. Yes, he definitely does. 2019, he went for 3271, 21 and 6 on 60%. This year, he improved. 2259, 16 and 5 on 66%. There was obviously improve, improvement. Uh, if you watch film, it was improved. Yes, I would take Trevor Lawrence over Gardner Minshew. Trevor is generational, whatever you want to say. Yes, I think he's generational. I think he's the better choice. Obviously, you had to go with T. Law if you have number one. But Minshew definitely deserves a shot elsewhere. Someone needs to take a shot at him. I don't know who is going to take a shot at him, but someone does need to. And we're edging towards the end of here. We only have two more topics to discuss. This hasn't been as long as I expected. I, I went through this pretty quickly. To respect for that. Come on, come on. Did Kaepernick deserve a shot? I want this to be completely non-political. I don't want to talk about anything political here. And then the question is, does he still deserve one? I don't think he still deserves one. Uh, because he's just he's he's on the older side, and I don't he's thirty three years old. He's obviously going to prove over the last couple of years, but he definitely deserved a shot. A couple of years back, he definitely deserved a shot. I mean, take the whole flag thing out, take all that out. Sure, he was a deproving player. He was not playing as good. He wasn't playing at the same level he was early on in his career. Twenty twelve, Kaepernick went for eighteen fourteen yards, ten touchdowns, three picks, sixty two percent. The next year, he went for thirty one ninety seven, twenty one and eight on fifty eight percent. The year after that, he still was high in the yardage department, going for 33, 69, 19, and 10 on 60%. 
and he was 16, 15, 6, and 5, 59%. And then 2016, the last year, he was there 22, 41, 16, and 4, on 59%. He definitely deserved a shot. But now he doesn't. Sadly, I mean, it's, it's just how it is. He's a little too old now to get that shot. But he definitely deserved one. In 2017, he should have got a contract. I'm not going to cut that short. I watched some film on him. He definitely deserved a shot somewhere. I've heard sources say the Broncos gave him shots or whatever. He was asking for more money. I have no clue if that's true. And if it is, that that's partially his fault. But I think he deserved a shot. Just a question of how much money he's willing to take. If he was willing to be a backup for a while. If he was willing to be a full-time starter. That's a question you got to answer. Before saying if he definitely deserved one. Or if he still deserves one. But I think he was on a good rate of play to where he should have still been in the NFL. And how surprising was the Knicks' sudden rise in the East? That's our last question to ask. Not surprising at all, in my opinion. In 2020, 2019-2020 season, I predicted the Knicks to go as an 8 seed. I thought things were clicking. They brought in big moves like Julius Randle to the team, which I was high on Julius Randle coming in to his tenure in New York. Knicks fans were not so high on him, and last offseason, before the season began, they wanted him traded. They wanted Obi Toppin to start over him. I remember it very clearly. Why are we not talking about that? How the Knicks fans wanted him gone. If I was Julius, I would leave and say, you wanted me gone, now I'm leaving. How does that look? Because they were disrespectful to Julius. He was never a bad player. In 2020, when he was getting disrespected, he went for 19 and a half, 9, 7, 3, 1.8.3 on 46% and 27%. Tom Thibodeau came in. I think Tom Thibodeau, deserve, Tom Thibodeau deserves the most credit, though, first of all. Julius deserves a lot of it. Tom deserves the most. Tom always finds a star, no matter where he is. In the Bulls, I think it was Joakim Noah. We're talking like finding these stardoms. Joakim deproved after leaving Tom. Could argue it's age, I don't care. Tom found Joakim, in my opinion. In Minnesota, I would argue he unlocked Andrew Wiggins, and he also coached up Jimmy Butler. I'm arguing he unlocked both of those two dudes. Andrew, Andrew Wiggins, sorry. Andrew Wiggins was best under Tom Thibodeau. I'm standing by that. He unlocked uh, Jimmy, he unlocked Wiggins to the most he could, and Joakim Noah. And then when he went to New York, he right away unlocked Julius Randle into a superstar, who is now much more efficient on 41% from three. His best three-point percentage before this year was 34% back in 2019 in New Orleans. His most points before the season, which this season is averaging 24, his most before that was 21 back in New Orleans. Rebounds 10-2. Last time he averaged over 10 rebounds was back in 2016 on the Lakers, his first technical year. Uh, 5.9 assists. The most before this season was 3.6 assists back in 2017 on the Lakers. 0.9 steals is the most of his career. The point two block situation. He's been going down in blocks, but he's switching on to more elusive defenders because he's honestly lost weight. He looks more fit. He's better right now in New York. Now, 45% from the field is not his highest. He's had 55% in years back in 2018 in the Lakers, 52% in New Orleans, and even last year was 46%. But the thing is, his field goal percentage from three has increased. That's all that matters. I think the Knicks' rise wasn't that surprising to me, but it was surprising to many. I think Tom deserves the most respect. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I can't wait to get out here and, and make this a normalcy where I consistently come out here and post these. But, I mean, I don't know when that consistency is going to start. Probably somewhere around June. I'm still going to try to get these out as much as possible. Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye.